Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Ryan, the CTO and co-founder of Formidable, and we discuss the differences in the CTO role at a consultancy versus a product-led company, how you can use open source to advance business outcomes, and why the problems you focus on solving should have the greatest multiplier effect. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What was it like back in uh, back in the day when you were growing up? Was it really exciting living out there in California, or did you live kind of like away from the tech hubs? Uh, yeah, so I the Central Coast. Um, for those unfamiliar with it, it's kind of like take San Francisco, take Los Angeles, split it right in half and put it on the beach. So what that means is it's kind of small town, San Luis Obispo area is near where, um, where most folks would remember um, or might know of the area. The major freeway doesn't go through it. So it's kind of a pain to go there if you don't already want to. So it's always been small town, um, great growing up, the, um, did a lot of hiking, climbing. There's a lot of surfing and good stuff there, but um, no real big tech hubs because you're just it that that starts in like Los Angeles or San Francisco um, in the big hubs, and we're just not that close. So how'd you go from outdoorsy, not near big tech hubs, to really getting involved in technology? So yeah, it's it's uh, kind of weird because I never really anticipated. Uh, tech is a big thing. Like I remember I used email, I think like five times my senior year. I graduated in 95 and like heard about that. And I went to, um, started undergrad at Stanford and I'd always kind of thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I got a major in political science. And then all of my friends were taking the intro to computer science class at Stanford. And it was really well supported. That series, their intro series has actually won awards. And like econ majors, everyone just kind of took it at the time. And so I kind of went with the flow and tried it out. And I was like, this is great. So started doing some, but I was just kind of like, I still think I'm going to be a lawyer and all of that and got a minor and then graduated in the heralded year of 1999, uh, the height of the dot-com boom. <laughs> so um, I hadn't totally made up my mind. So I decided to go take a programming job and I, I moved down to San Diego and, and worked for kind of like building websites and stuff. And yeah, so that's how I initially got into tech. Um, but it's like kind of actually a, a two-phase story because um, as we all know with the dot-com boom, the dot-com bust also happened. And I had applied to law school before starting as a programmer in case I didn't like it. And I did like it, but um, I was a lot of my friends were still up in the Bay Area. And although it hadn't trickled down to San Diego yet, I was getting the sense of Armageddon in tech. And when those law school acceptances came in, I was kind of like, oh, that's looking kind of nice now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I figured like, oh, well, I will just do tech law. And then um, I went to law school and yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And um, I graduated and became um, both a patent prosecutor. That's a type of attorney that writes patents. I don't know why they call it prosecution. Still, <laughs> um, And a litigator, and most of us know what that means, is somebody who argues in courts over cases. And in my case, I did mostly um, intellectual property cases, copyrights, patents, et cetera. And then for me, what it was is that I lasted about three years in practice. Um, 
is doing patent prosecution for like my small inventor clients that built something and are willing to pay like big firm prices. I worked at a really cool, very large firm called Morrison and Forrester. They were so excited about what they built. And I realized that like technical writing is what patents are. And it was rewarding helping those clients. But I'm like, I want to build something. And I've really just felt that. And so um, knowing that I'd like didn't have a full tech degree and I was going to switch careers. I decided to bite the bullet. I went to grad school at UC San Diego and actually got a, a full computer science degree. And then from there, like that was the official switch. For, since then, I've been in the tech industry. I joined Microsoft's cloud storage group upon um, graduation after telling myself I'd join a startup. Um, so I, I didn't get it right the first time, but <laughs> since Microsoft, then I've been in a series of startups uh, leading up to Formidable. Nice. It sounds like you were exploring, gathering information, learning, and then you went out and started Formidable. I love the name, by the way. It's a very strong name. It's solid. Yeah, it was funny. And talking with one of um, our new clients, they were talking about it with their their advisory panel. And I, I believe one of the advisors was French and said that, oh, that means inspires terror, right? And we were like, oh, <laughs> didn't know that. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think I think it's, it's a nice name because it's in the sense of like, I, I like to think that the type of, you know, application development we do is is robust. It is powerful. It, it helps our clients do cool stuff. I like being able to like see what our clients do and be able to point, even though sometimes it has to be anonymously and like, we did that. Uh, we helped, we helped them ship that. And yeah. Dude, it feels good. Well, you've met, you're, you're doing what you wanted to do, man. You're creating, you're building. You love it? Um, yeah, I do. It's, um, the, the things I love about it is, is just, yeah, being able to, to see what we built, look at it, help take an idea and actually have it translate into something um, real. I remember like we do a lot of e-commerce. So it's always that cool thing of you work on a product for a long time, particularly if it's with ordering or something. And then it's not like theoretical. You're hooking it up to different environments. You're testing it out along the way. But at some point you have the team come in for the test run of you are going to actually order something that should translate to a real thing happening and seeing that that whole flow come back to real life where like we'll order a product that's just how it happens and having those kind of moments where the rubber meets the road of like we built something and like it actually works not that we expected it wouldn't but it just feels more real and more like it actually impacts our life especially for like a lot of our clients like i regularly i regularly use them and such yeah we pitched an athletic wear company that we're doing a lot of work with now. It's like my whole wardrobe's like in large part them. And it was so cool to be able to walk into that meeting. It's just like, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid already before we've met um, and to help them and watch them um, succeed with the help of some of our like really, really good engineering team. Yeah. I watch our sales pipeline, you know, see who the people are that are in like their different stages of deal progress and so i love that meeting where i get an update because you know every once in a while there's a product that i use in there and so they get like i reach out to them and i'm like hey look i'm glad that you're in the pipeline but we've built our business on your product <laughs> you know this is oh, great yeah yeah no that is so cool yeah and especially i mean for for you you talk to so many folks to be able to have this like oh i already know all about that going on it's got to be a, a really nice feeling 
Yeah. So do you have a co-founder in this adventure? Yes. Um, uh, my co-founder is uh, another Ryan, uh, Ryan Eastridge. Um, and a little kind of like side side digression here. We are Ryan heavy and formidable because um, our VP of product <laughs> is also named Ryan. And um, one of my coworker developers in Denver is also named Ryan. Um, we, we started off with five engineers. So we were 40% Ryan at that point. Um, and we, we've <laughs> diminished. Um, but it it is this interesting thing of that. Yeah, like internally, um, we, we mostly go by last names. But um, yeah, so Ryan and I met in Seattle when I had moved to Seattle. And Ryan actually had the contract that like we kind of built Formidable on. He had been doing... Uh, work with Walmart on their mobile web app, not the not the native one, but if you just went to Safari on your phone and decided to go to Walmart and shop. And so he and one other dev basically wrote the front end to that. And um, based on that success, got handed a larger contract and he needed someone to kind of help with that um, at the time. And I had just moved to Seattle, was writing a book on um, a technology framework called Backbone.js that's not oh, used I much love anymore. Backbone. Yeah, I loved it I, too. I yeah. used it. I used it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I wrote a book on backbone testing, and I was looking for uh, peer reviewers to to kind of get the that's the final thing you do before like submitting for final. Um, and Ryan Eastridge had written a framework on top of backbone called Thorax to just handle a lot of stuff. So I wanted to meet him. He was. I didn't know this, but at the same time, he was trying to get a co-founder to help launch what would become Formidable on this big Walmart project for helping them write their checkout um, for the desktop app. And we both independently wanted to meet each other and spoke at the same meetup. And yeah, that kind of, that's how it all kicked off. That was, it was so competitive. Man, I can't believe you just brought up like an old memory. What happened to Backbone? <laughs> I guess like React and other ones. I actually did a project with uh, Backbone and Rails. There was like a Backbone Rails integration um, because that's when I first started learning about these sort of, you know, the way that these JavaScript interfaces were working where you could just have a better user experience and everything's just kind of on the page. Uh, and so that was one of my first experiences with those types of frameworks. And uh, yeah. Sorry, blast from the past. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's great. Backbone for when it came out was fantastic. It was something that was like, you could buy into just a little bit of it, take its strengths and go do something with it. And at the time, the competitor frameworks were like Ember and Angular, which were a bit more kind of kitchen sink and you had to buy into the whole thing. So Formidable started as a mostly Backbone shop. And then when React came along later, React was just like a UI view layer at, in, in a simplified form that you could buy just some of the parts you needed. And, you know, it really spoke to me and us at Formidable as the thing. And we invested early in that and heavily. And so it was because of that that um, we helped Walmart, who we we're still working with, try out with their engineers too. One of the first proof of concepts of React there to kind of help them test the test the water, see how it went. And then um, from there, Formidable really started growing when a lot of folks wanted to learn React and kind of build on that. And we, we a large part of our early marketing was open source and we still have a, a very strong presence and activity in the open source ecosystem. We wrote one of the first 
CSS and JS libraries called Radium, which uh, it's since been superseded by what like what the ecosystem would recommend now. But at the time, it was one of the first ones there, and it worked with the React the Web framework, um, and that was one of our toeholds into getting known. A lot of folks first learned of us through that that open source, and now we have a lot of other open source projects that are higher profile. Like we've done Victory, that. Um, is the data visualization thing that works in web, works in mobile, and that's what a lot of folks now know us for, and we'll see a lot of folks coming into us from um, the open source uh, community. So open source has contributed a lot to your business. Yeah, it really has. And, and how we kind of view it is like, we work with a lot of different clients. Most of what we do is is the you know the secret sauce, their application logic, the business logic, what is shipping their product and 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 getting them revenue. But then there's a lot of the stuff that's not core to the business that is just this common problem that once we encounter it two or three times and has nothing to do with the domain of expertise that our client has or or what they're all about. That's when we look for an opportunity is like, you know what, we should just take some of our own time, write an open source library about it, contribute back so that if nothing else, we don't have to do this same thing again and we can just take, an, take a dependency. I love it. I love it. I, you would like this. I got to one of the last apps that I built in with React Native and then React Web was a legal software for depositions. So we use like the TalkBox API that handles mm. all the video streaming and recording and multiple parties could join. And then there would be like transcripts like uh, of the, the speech to text and you could mark things and you could show exhibits. Like you could press a button to show the exhibit and then discuss it. And I didn't uh, do the business. So it was a business that was growing they had, you know, scotch tape and bubblegum, their MVP, and then they got investment dollars. And then they asked through one of the investors, like, who can make this something that feels like an Apple application? And that's how I got connected with them. And yeah, so that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Oh, no, that's great. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled to hear when somebody's doing better legal software, like so back in the day in 2003 to 2006, I'm not sure how much has changed, but legal software is just Byzantine there. And our firm was like such a tech-heavy firm um, for like what we litigated, what we what we uh, did business-wise and and patent-wise. But the technology was just the Stone Age. I remember one other patent attorney who also had a computer science background. When we'd see our own software, we'd just be just like, "How long would it take you to write this?" And we'd like kind of place hypothetical bets on like, I could replace this in two weeks. So I'm always thrilled to hear that like all the modern tech is going into something like as like otherwise boring as a deposition, but that can be done better and more usefully so that you don't have to go through these seemingly to a technologist, like arcane, slow series of steps. Yeah. You got to make it the delightful user experience. And I was curious to know, you mentioned that you got your start with like maybe the Walmart concept, uh, which is an e-commerce thing. Do you specialize in e-commerce? Is that like what percentage of your business is e-commerce? You know, I don't know the exact percentage um, of e-commerce, but the other, I, I guess, broadly speaking, the industries we are in, um, in addition to e-commerce are like um, financial and tech, health and human services. We've done some some cool kind of like pharmacy work with Walmart. We've also helped like healthcare manufacturers with how they do internal lab research. Uh, we've done 
a good amount of media, like uh, review websites um, and data visualizations and such. Um, we have even done some legal software. That's always a blast for the past for me, especially because like I'll just check in just to know what we're building because I'm like in my previous life, I, I have some like, oh, okay, that's great. We're doing it. And then other things as well, like delivery companies helping with their apps and stuff. E-commerce uh, has been a big push for us because doing that correctly, because one, it's it's so revenue sensitive. Every step along the way for like, say the common flow of, of a user and whatever your site is comes to the homepage, hopefully clicks a product, hopefully kicks the add to cart, and then hopefully checks out. Um, getting that flow as fast, performant, and as you mentioned, delightful as possible is so key. And us having that experience is when folks come in and they're, they're usually having like something that's not as efficient, their revenue team wants it better. Us being able to translate that into like, we've done that before and, and, and we can help you um, is powerful. And I will say that in the pandemic, a lot of companies, you know, had their e-commerce initiatives, their like digitalization initiatives. Those, as far as I can tell, really got ramped up once you couldn't do as much in brick and mortar. So um, yeah, that's a long way of saying, yes, we 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 do a lot that's not e-commerce, but um, particularly in the pandemic, there's so much need for um, for many of our clients and prospective clients to really amp up and really do that correctly um, now more than ever. So, Dude, that's exciting. I was looking at your customers and different things that you've built. I was curious, what did you do for Starbucks? Um, so we did, we helped them build out one of their first PWA apps so that you can have that What's kind that of mean? like... What's PWA? A progressive web app. And what you typically think of it is, especially on like an Android phone, it's it's something that can act like a real app, a, a, a native app, while still being a website that works kind of in both worlds. Now, there's a lot of gotchas to it. And um, we worked with we worked with a well-known developer um, who, who helped us kind of build that out um, as Starbucks really kind of broke a lot of ground with that, um, being just being able to do that because, yeah, not having, not having to download something from the app store, but you still want that app-like experience is really cool. Um, but it comes with a lot of challenges because ultimately you're still doing a web page that has special hooks to some built-in functionality. And then the other thing that we did in relation to that was built out, um, help them build out their web ordering so that you could actually order from your desktop computer instead of just their, their native app. So their, na their native team like is so good and has done so much. And for a long time, you can order from your phone just in the native app. We helped them um, with the web ordering to do it from anywhere. And, and what I would say is that especially at a consultancy where we have lots of clients, there's so much we like me personally have to learn is for dealing with different things. Our clients oftentimes have deep areas of knowledge in all of these uh, uh, different areas that aren't core to what Formidable is usually on the contract for or something. So we're always kind of learning. It's it's amazing like what clients have like a full like AI division doing something that's going to be hooked in. Um, and and it really is just, just so impressive because we help our clients do specific things, but the the other things, the, the big tech orgs that um, have a targeted reason for bringing us in can talk about is, is just amazing. And especially because like one of our recent clients is um, uh, th that's doing computing hardware is when we were in the pitch meeting, I knew so many names in that call and their 
Their founder is somebody who I've known for years, who has written operating system internal stuff that is so cool and I used in grad school. And it's just amazing to kind of be in there where we bring a specific capability that they need, which is is great. But I'm also just so humbled to be like, wow, this really is in the presence of, of computer greatness, knowing we get to work with them and, and they want us to do something special. Um, Isn't that great? It's like kid in the candy shop for forever. It's like, this is the life now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, that's that's the good part of consulting. We get to see so many different things. We get to be a part of so many different um, projects that ship and go to production, and you can see the result of that. And yeah, it's it's really nice. And it's it has been kind of a, a trip for me because prior to Formidable, I'd never done consulting. I'd always been with product companies, like Microsoft is a product company, and then smaller startups. One of them was actually in intellectual property data, data mining company. So I actually got to, to use both the degrees there. But um, I'd always been kind of tied to that s- sense of destiny, whereas now consulting, you don't, get, you don't get to tie yourself to like, everything is aligned, all of our eggs in this one basket. And it's that kind of both terrifying and exciting thing. But as a consultant, we do get to try out so much. And, like, and, and usually when we come in, it's because somebody needs help somewhere and we're able to deliver and and hopefully make the client happy, ship something cool. So I, that's the kind of trade-off. And it's been an interesting, yeah, it's been an interesting kind of um, change for me since I've only had one consulting job that's fortunately still continuing. <laughs> I'm curious to know about like consulting or I guess what I would, what I really want to know, because we're sitting here talking about all of these various technologies. We're talking about open source, you know, both of our past projects and things like that. And there's people that are like, all right, they're doing cool stuff in these in these different spaces. They're working with Walmart. They're working with Starbucks. You know, why would I use them? Or like, how could I use them? What do your engagements look like? Like, you keep saying consultancy, but you know, some people do like team augmentation. Some people do remote. Like, what is your model? Yeah, our model is that we we don't do just like straight staff augmentation of like kind of more buns and seats to kind of help churn things out. It sounds a little cliche, but we we really do look to partner with prospective clients. And what that means is, is that like, when we take an engagement, there's a couple of different common scenarios that come up. One is that um, the client wants to level up their team in something like React, that company is doing a transition to React or React Native. And they not only want to get something built, they also want to have all of their engineers kind of rise up. So we kind of pair up, we'll sometimes be the senior developers on the team. We all take tickets together alongside our client counterparts. And the goal is mentoring the clients as we go so that as we build the app, and that's the kind of forcing function for this, so it's not just like you sit down for training, it's we build an app together, and hopefully at the end of the engagement, if that's the work they needed and Formidable moves on, the remaining team um, has learned more about React, more about their via doing the app, and can support the app on their own. So that's one common thing. We do wholesale kind of more holistic arrangements for certain clients that in addition to engineering, we've also got a great design team. And we also um, will provide technical project managers when the client wants it. And so a lot of times a client engagement will be is that um, we want a team that can kind of own a lot of that and, and deliver the project as a holistic team. And it's Um, Our design team is great, and a lot of times we'll do just design-only projects, but when we actually pair up the engineering and design teams together so that the design team designs 
how the app's going to be, and the engineering team implements it and iterates together. It's really nice to see, and and we've we've had really good feedback from our clients for when we've been able to get those engagements. Yeah, your design is awesome. I'm 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 listening to you, but I also pulled up your (laughs) website, your homepage here. It's beautiful. I am a design geek, if you know me. Like I love. I'm not good at it. I don't do it. Uh, I love it though. For some, I love things that look beautiful. Yeah. No. Our our design team has, alongside our marketing team, and we've, you know, we we check in with outside companies as well to kind of figure out what's the most impactful thing, and then to translate that to an actual implemented design. It's actually a, a good case of like, you know, what formidable does. But um, yeah, our marketing team driving what the messaging is. And overall thoughts for appearance in the design team, bringing that to reality. And then, of course, the, you know, the engineering team, which is when folks are between projects, one of the things that you can help out with is the Formidable Labs website, because surprise, it's a React app and we put them all together. So, um, dude, the site's beautiful. Sorry to get off topic. But when I'm looking through here, your projects, too, uh, I love like you guys are doing style guides. It looks like you really you do things right. Like there's companies that get stuff out the door. And then there's companies that can't get stuff out the door because they're trying to make everything perfect. And then there's companies that have like figured out that like sweet spot. And that seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to be where you guys are at. Yeah, I would I would hope so. And I think, you know, you just mentioned the style guides that we have, a, I think a case study there for both Walmart and Starbucks where we did them. And style guides, which are just, a, you know, you take your, in most common cases, React components, put them together, pair them up with the styles from the design team and have like one blessed set for everyone to use. You know, at Walmart, when we were originally helping them with their site, there were five different carousels. Each different team had their own image carousel. And it was enough for us to say, all right, everyone stop. We should have one. Let's coordinate it through one place together. And just, um, yeah, it's ideas like that, that, you know, most most folks these days will do like, a style library kind of component library, but it's just that like that, that's that's immediately the type of thing we want to do um, to just get a better outcome so that like, when you think of the site as a whole, even if organizationally you have 10 different teams that don't necessarily organizationally roll up together. Um, and that's that's a lot of, of the challenging that I see in companies. And we see it a lot more as a consultancy going between clients and what their different organization structures are. I'm curious to, to ask you about channel partners as a concept. So the reason why this sticks in the back of my head is the way you described how you sort of like can level up a team while building a project with them. So I I did a series, I think maybe last year, where I wanted to really wrap my mind around why, why I'm getting stats that say like only 10% of the market has moved to the cloud when I grew up like cloud native and I didn't really understand the on-prem stuff personally. Uh, and so I started exploring and asking people why and learning about the different business models of the organizations that are going and helping companies move to the cloud and the different strategies. And one of the things that stood out to me that a couple of them said is when when they move, it's not just like you're moving the technology or you're rewriting the technology. It's all the people within the organization how they program, what processes they use. You can't just shift the technology because none of the people know how to operate it. Have you guys ever done like, and, in, and so then I found that, ha, you know, a portion 
of these digital transformation cloud companies uh, also had services. So they would come in there and do something similar to what you talked about, but in direct relation to their cloud strategy. Some of them didn't get into that and they referred out to channel partners. Have you done any channel partnerships like that with, with these companies that are helping uh, other companies move to the cloud and their systems are getting rewritten? So we have, uh, let me answer the question a, a little bit. Sometimes we will use sister consultancies that will subcontract for some of the, the cloud work when we're overloaded. But um, a formidable service offerings, which is basically front-end web app development, back-end web and APIs, a lot of the time GraphQL, mobile. Um, the fourth one is cloud. So we have our own kind of uh, cloud infrastructure department, and we are not one of these broad AWS or GCP Azure consultancies that come in, soup to nuts, lift you into the cloud, like off of your on-prem setup, like you were mentioning. What we have is a very targeted cloud infrastructure practice that for those three other service offerings of the apps we typically write, we are able to get those to prod in the absolute best way possible. Because what I will say is that we have a focused knowledge of the cloud as it relates to like a React front end web app, as it relates to a GraphQL backend. And that's what our engineers um, really focus on and really deliver. So a lot of the time with our clients, um, we integrate with their ops team and we help them with that one narrow slice of getting the app our other engineering teams are um, writing up to the clouds. And so it's things like, for example, CDN choice. CloudFront comes with AWS, but it's very limited in so many ways. And oftentimes a modern CDN like Fastly or Cloudflare can give you a better opportunity for the type of app you want. And Lambdas function as a service for AWS are so flexible on the developer end, but there are some potential performance implications implications, but if you hook up the right CDN, you can kind of get the best of all worlds. And it's that type of interesting interplay that we really excel at in our cloud practice. And so our cloud practice is actually one of our also service offerings for like, not like a full level up of your entire DevOps team, but like help your DevOps team with this new thing that the engineers are writing, get that to prod in the best way so that it integrates into your overall infrastructure. And I mean, like we use like Terraform and CloudFormation if we have to, to, to do the modern tooling that every ops organization is probably using. But we do have a lot of work. And so sometimes we'll subcontract it out to some of our sister consultancies that are like cloud orgs that can also do that and have worked with us before. So, so we, we're talking a lot about some of the bigger brands because those are the most fun to talk about. <laughs> we're just being real, right? But let's say I have like 15, 20 engineers and maybe we're embarking, you know, a team of them, maybe three or four of them are embarking on this, you know, they've researched it, they've just started using this, you know, React technology. I mean, React's super popular. Um, and and now they need some help. Do you guys deal with companies that small? Um, yes, we do. We, we usually like having at least uh, two engineers on a project for at least some amount of time because Formidable is very remote friendly, but... Um, it can sometimes be isolating to be the only formidable employee on a project. You've got the client team, but um, having at least one other formidable to kind of do things together, that's usually the, the minimum size of project we'll want to start. But depending on, we've, we've take, we have clients that are like 15 people of size and a startup 
um, and such. And, you know, and those are fun because there's usually uh, often greenfield projects going up from scratch, which is, you know, scrappy, getting it done. Don't know if you're going to make the deadline, but pushing real hard, like that, that type of fun stuff too. Um, and, and for startups as a, as a broad, like, you know, stereotype there, are, there's so much excitement there. Just like everyone's like, are we going to make it going through that? So it's, it's really fun when we can take on one of those projects. Do you ever miss, uh, like being a product let, like working in a product company, like you worked at Microsoft, you had your own product and now you get to make everybody else's product, but you ever want to have like your own kid? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yes, yes. It, it's, I think so much of like me being a CTO here is I am, um, I am following and putting my finger to the wind of what everyone else is doing to kind of best support them. It's like, I don't know, say TypeScript. A couple of our clients started using TypeScript, then all of them were like, okay, we're doing TypeScript to support that. Whereas it's not so much, um, I, I do miss the days of here's our product, technologically, what do we need to get there and be really driving that. There are things we will encourage our clients to do, but so much of it is like, we're here to help them ship as the primary goal, whereas like, we're here to help us ship we have a little more control of our destiny um and can take bigger risks so to speak about how we get there um yeah and i'm sure you've got some like internal tools or some projects you get to work on right oh yeah well we've got a ton of internal tools that we'll use for various things um we've had a couple of internal product ideas that we started off and then um didn't go forward with as a, i mean as a consultancy starting off your own product internally is is very expensive for taking folks off building consulting work um but we do toy around with it i mean we've got so many folks with with so many good ideas and we do we do think of things so not yet in terms of bringing it all the way to fruition but but yeah it's it's not it's nice to consider some possibilities for the future in that regard yeah let me know we'll give you a shout out <laughs> when you when you end up doing it and bring it back up on the podcast and check it out uh, oh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about like company culture and what's it like working at Formidable. Yeah, so you know our company culture is just amazing, and I, I, it's, we have a very supportive environment. I mean, it's part of our values to like come as you are. It's uh, our values are craft, autonomy, and inclusion. We are welcoming. We are friendly. We have a lot of smart people who don't have big egos. And at the beginning, you know, it was pretty much organic growth. We started with five of us, and that's kind of luck of the draw for like, what type of team we were going to be. But we, um, over time, have really evolved a good people organization that really focuses on what can keep folks happy. We have a kind of like witty, humorous slack banter, which isn't a substitute for a culture, but it, it is a reflection of what we've been able to do. And we invest a lot in people with trainings, with mentorship, and with a people department that cares and kind of keeps tabs on people in the pandemic. Like um, our VP of operations sent out care packages to like almost all of the employees. We have, we've had a, a recent baby boom with like kids being born and stuff. There's, there's a formidable onesie going around. <laughs> Oh, I know. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we have like, uh, and swag's not a substitute for culture, but it's reflective. We've got a great swag game going on. And we, we 
as a consultancy, what, what we do is like a lot of the times we have to assess how people are doing on projects if it's supporting them. Because one engineer might do great with a certain client and not with another and, and, and vice versa. So that we have to keep tabs and do regular check-ins there to make sure that people are supported, have what they need and are, and are actually growing and um, you know, gonna stick around and be happy. I'm pumped up to hear about the swag. You guys have t-shirts, hats. What do you have? Oh, we can totally hook you up. Yeah. That's what I'm asking. I collect, I started to collect this from like guests that have, man, you'd be surprised. Some of the best things in life, like there's only a few of them or like you get them from the companies that will have this unbelievable culture. And I I pay for them too, man. You don't even have, we'll, we'll cover the cost, but I'll, I'll have Adam reach out to you after the podcast because I like that stuff and I wear it. And I think it's so cool because it is the best conversation starter. Like people will be like, what's yeah, that? Because well, it's not something they always see. Well, and and don't forget, we've got great kid gear too. I've, I've seen some of your podcasts before that you've mentioned you got kids. Uh, I've got a um, an almost three-year-old and almost five-year-old and they are outfitting fitting their t-shirts with one of them's a formidable taper, which the taper has like kind of special meaning to us as a point of humor. And I have my kids rocking the formidable swag as well. So if you want that, we can hook you up there too. Dude, we definitely want that. I want to I want to learn more about okay, so you have a good culture. I I like that. How, and you mentioned that you do like leadership or mentorship, you know, this type of thing. Can you give me some more details about, you know, your leadership programs or how those things work? Yeah, so we have um uh a very successful engineering manager program where is that um over time, as as engineers progress and and look like they kind of want that next stage of their career to be a manager of of other engineers, and there's a, a strong support network there. We have um, directors above the managers to give them all the support they need, kind of help um, train them up, mentor them, and your engineering manager is basically who you go to for support because you're. Your client is who you're doing your work for, but a lot of the times you need support to how to navigate the client, how how are your how is your personal growth going, and the engineering managers are kind of that um, that mid level to kind of help all make that work. And it really is more kind of a you know a mentoring relationship than a than a strict like I'm managing you. Where it might be more in a product company because you're doing work for somebody else who's not necessarily the manager, and so that I think has been a large part of secret of her success is identifying great candidates, people who can get along and then supporting them as they start off being an engineering manager and over time watching them grow into like successfully helping and having a multiplier effect for all of their reports. How official is it? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, cause I geek out about this stuff. Uh, is it something where like quarterly you take all the people and, and like put them through this or is it something that like, how does it actually come up in their life? Um, it's, we had, it's on a rolling basis for when we, when we decide we need the next engineering manager based on growth. It's as we're hiring all the time and lately we've been doing a lot of hiring. And so somebody has to go to an engineering manager and we're watching the kind of fan out of, Oh, Jane is getting overloaded. John has like, eight people now. Um, and then we make an assessment of it's it's time for a new engineering manager to come up the ranks. And then we kind of rebalance everything. So because the engineering managers are still billing engineers, there is a, a slice, a, a good slice of non-billable time to handle your reports. But at the end of the day, you, 
you also are doing your job. So we can't just like shove 20 people under one person. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I like it. I'm sorry to ask like so many detailed questions about your leadership program. I yeah. just, I like that type of stuff. No, it, well, and it's been an evolution. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, when we started, there was, there was five of us, there was a CEO, a CTO and, um, our engineers. <laughs> and now it's, and now we're at, a, um, I think, most recent number I've seen is 110 full-time employees worldwide, um, which is is in some sense mind blowing for for how large how large we've become in um, just the the eight years that I've been here. It's so great. It's so great to when once you start to get that culture formed, then it becomes less about making a ton of money and more about how do I invite more people to the party? Like, how can I find more great people and just continually like pack them around us so that we can have more fun and do cooler things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I think of it personally, is that as a consultancy and we've, we've got um, we, we, our CFO who is so experienced in professional services firms assures us that uh, professional services firms need to grow at some um, sustainable rate to attract new clients, um, to be able to have career trajectory for the folks inside and, and grow at some rate as you go. But I've never viewed it as growth for growth rate. My my goal is formidable is I love doing my job. I love the autonomy I have. Um, we were super remote friendly before the pandemic, and now we're, I guess, extra remote super friendly. Now I like having the autonomy that as my, my kids grew up, I could kind of like work from home and watch them as grandma took care of them before they got into daycare and stuff and still get my work done in a way that's, that's, that's flexible. And so I personally like what we've got at Formidable and wants to continue, even as we have to kind of grow and, and, and adapt and change just for the way the nature of the business is. Because when we started, we had one client. If that client went away, we'd have big problems. Now we have um, a very diversified set of clients where any one or probably two or even possibly three could go away and we'll still be doing just fine, um, especially with our sales pipeline, at least these days, which is doing amazing. So yeah, that that's how I that's how I see it personally. Is like I want I want all of the good day to day work I do and and feelings of flexibility I have to continue um, even as kind of the the face of formidable changes as as we grow. Man, you set me up perfectly there. If you if people are listening, they want to get into your sales pipeline. How do they do that? Um, so yes, you can send an email to hello at formidable.com. Um, our website has a, a handy dandy contact form that will get in there. It's of course integrated into Slack. We'll see it immediately hook things up. Yeah. There's lots of other places to find it, you know, myself or any of our leadership on the interwebs via GitHub or whatnot, but the, the website's probably the best way, but, um, yeah, we're out there in all of the modern, um, social and communicative um available ways that you would expect we'll post a bunch of links too in the show awesome. notes and everything so people can find it super easy i've just got like a couple more leadership questions if that's cool yeah so i'm i'm always curious because i get to talk to everybody and everyone's having different experiences and learning so like, i want to know you like what are you learning as a leader right now um no that's a good question and as a leader We've recently kind of like changed 
who reports to the CTO in, in, in bigger ways than we have in the past as we've recently went through the most recent uh, growth spurt. I have more reports now than I ever have before. Um, we also have under the technology org, which I'm the leader of, a group called Core Tech, which is our individual contributors who are expert technologists. I do regular one-on-ones with all of them. And so I'm not their manager, but I am regularly getting their feedback. And I also have regular one-on-ones with all of our directors um, up on the people side of things. And I kind of synthesize all of that. So my leadership style is I, I have a handful of direct reports um, in the technology org. I have a lot of what I'll call dotted lines to other folks to feed up the technological information. And then that becomes kind of our steering for how technology goes here, which really means what do we invest in? Things that we're going to do our own trainings for ahead of the curve that we're not just going to learn from doing a client engagement. Where are the needs that aren't being met? Um, sometimes that means we have to do a new open source library. Um, but I'm a, my one of my main roles is assessing where we're at and what the stumbling blocks are and how to solve those on a broad organizational level. So um, leadership style is as you kind of expect, I regularly check in with a ton of people and then hopefully identify the correct work to do and then see that it gets done. Occasionally, it's me coding. I still code a little bit and I love it, but it's becoming less and less, especially recently. Um, and then oftentimes it's clearing the path for a project or a training that should happen to kind of like level up the org. That's pretty cool. I like it. Dude, I'm learning so much. I, I love your self-awareness of your leadership style. I think that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Some ahead. people don't have that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just excited now. <laughs> that yeah. was really good. You, I have Rarely do I get somebody who has like extreme self-awareness. And then when they do, it's even more rare that they can articulate it on demand like you did. So kudos to you, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's... I guess the thing that that hasn't changed over time has been, I mean, and not my North Star, but one guiding thing is I'm here to unblock people, especially on the range of projects we get, things are blocking. And so what can I do best to kind of like grease the wheels and make it so that what we do day to day is easier and is the correct thing and, and is a good path forward. It's It's, like I said, I guess I'm about sustainability. I like what I do. I want it to be able to continue um, even as we grow. But there's a lot of changes that you know kind of have to happen org-wise and leadership-wise along the way. Yeah, you're in the growing stage. I actually keep notes based <laughs> off of what different companies are experiencing at different levels of employees because it helps me like pick topics better for the interviews. Um, so oh, that like, is such in, a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, you're in this tough spot where they start wanting based off of the numbers that we have for you uh, where they start wanting like more defined career paths. They'll start wanting, you know, because you're at the point where it's not five of you in the room anymore and everybody knows each other or they're one level away at 25, you're, you're just growing and there's these unique pains that happen at this level. And I think you're very aware of them and you're talking about them. So man, I, I know you're going to do well. I did have one more question about your direct reports, though, because you said you, you know, you kind of go around the organization, you have these relationships. I get it. I do that on a smaller level as well. But for your specific technology direct reports, if you had to pick like one or two concepts that you want them all to understand or spend some time with, like sort of maybe like management concepts or leadership concepts, things that maybe if you think back that you are 
you teach them through your conversations and your one-on-ones that are really important? What are these like one or two things that are important for your direct reports? For my direct reports, um, I think it is, uh, and I guess I would say is that if it's for a direct report that has come up the ranks as an individual contributor and transition on to more leadership-ish responsibilities and whatnot, is the idea of having a multiplier out effect or something outside and beyond myself. Because that's that's one of, for me as well, it's been the kind of biggest transition from when I started, I'm an engineer, I am churning out code and shipping things to that like, when I make decisions, when I, when I have now autonomy to choose what broad initiatives I'm doing, what's gonna have the biggest multiplier effect on everyone else to enable them to do fill in the blank of what's appropriate for the type of director I am. Mm-hmm be it uh, the director of open source or the director of where we've recently um, are, are creating two positions around cloud infrastructure and application services, what's going to have the biggest impact there and to look at, yeah, multiplier effect, getting the most people, the best value. Um, and then there's like, you know, I guess more specific things within that, that you can go into, but that's the the meta level thing that I, I want to have ingrained in in my reports. The multiplier effect. Yes, that is good. It helps with whenever I'm doing a priority list. One guest had shared this a while back about, you know, it was a notable brand. I can't remember, but I remember that this advice works because I implemented it and it worked. And the, the short of it was you take your list of priorities and you figure out like what's going to create the, the biggest multiple, like what's going to unblock the most people and then put that thing first, right? It's something we mm-hmm. are constantly doing as, as founders, but he articulated it so well. And, and so I started organizing my list like that. And I said, okay, I have all the things I want to do and I have all the things that need to be done. And these things that need to be done are actually blocking other work from being done. So I have, that's my, uh, that's my dinner. And then I get to do my projects, which is like my dessert. <laughs> right? (laughs) Yeah. No, I I I think that's a perfect metaphor for it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.